0: Many times people think of the Bible, and I've there, there are passages or certain parts, even for me as a pastor at times, but we think of the Bible as intimidating and complex, especially if maybe you're a newer Christian or you've not spent much time reading the Bible or studying the Bible. Where do I start? Where do I start reading? And, and what is the, the story? And what does that book mean? And what, what, how does it all go together? The truth of the matter is, it is a rich and deep, the richest and deepest book, and you can study it for a lifetime, but the message of the Bible is a very simple message. If I were to ask you to simplify the Bible into one verse tonight, if you had to choose one verse in all of Scripture to simplify the message of the Bible and there would be one verse that you would choose that you would say, if I could only pick one verse to give somebody that, that would simplify the whole message of the Bible, you don't have to say it out loud, but is there a verse that maybe comes to mind for you? If I were to tell you that you could only give someone one verse of the Bible to read or memorize, which one would it be? What, what do you think is probably the most famous or well-known verse in all of the Bible. John 3.16. I don't see it quite as often anymore, really not much at all, but growing up, and I think it probably started in the 70s, but in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, growing up, what did you always see, if uh, at a, and maybe at a sporting event, or the guy right by the uprights at the NFL game, or at a concert, or any kind of large televised event, you would normally see one or more people holding up that sign, right? And it didn't have the whole verse, it just had the reference, John 3.16, Tim Tebow in one of his bowl games he wrote it on on the eye black underneath and it was said that I forget the statistics some crazy number of times that that verse was googled and folks went to go read that for for Christians if we had to encapsulate the whole story of the Bible into one verse if we were to say simplify the message of the Bible we would probably say that kind of simplifies the message of the Bible that is the message of the Bible. That's the message of redemption. If we had to only give somebody one verse to read or to memorize, probably, and there might be some other good ones, you may have thought of other ones, but probably John 3.16. When, when on a sporting event and trying to get the message of God, the, the redemption story, the gospel out, and they had just a, a cardboard in two or three seconds, what did they choose? And they would choose sometimes a few other verses, but most of the time, John 3.16. I want you to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and of course we have it up on the screens. If you turn there with me to John 3.16, we're gonna look at this verse, and I like to read it aloud with you here. John chapter 3. And I was I was pondering and meditating on John 3.16 recently. And I think I, I think you'll be encouraged as you see some of the things we find in this verse. John 3.16, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life probably the simplest verse in the bible as it relates to communicating the message of god's word so simple that if we were to walk over right now to the boardwalk we would probably have dozens if not scores of children that have committed this verse to memory And we could walk up to a seven or an eight or a nine or a ten-year-old and say, for God so loved the, and they probably would fill in the blank, world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Tonight I want to walk through this verse and what is maybe one of the simplest verses But I want us to see tonight the incredible depth found in these 25 beautiful words. 25 words. And tonight I'm going to bring us a message entitled, The Depth of the Simplest Verse. And God's word is amazing, you see, because it's a verse that we all know. And as I pondered it and I read it and I thought about it, it's amazing. 25 words that we've heard, if you've been in church any length of time, you've undoubtedly heard uh, dozens, if not scores, if not hundreds, maybe thousands of times. You've heard it recited, you've preached it, you've read it, you, you maybe have it memorized. And yet there is so much truth packed into this one word. And I think it's a reminder to us. You see, God wants to simplify things. Man likes to make things complex. God made the redemption story extremely simple. Now, now redemption is not cheap and it's, it's not e- it was not easy. It was a very, uh, Christ left the glories of heaven and came to earth to die for us. It was not a, but it's a simple thing. The Bible talks about the fact the faith of a little child. The Bible says, uh, "Suffer the little children to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven." It's not you don't have to have a doctorate degree to understand the redemption plan. God does not try to make things complex. Man likes to complicate things. Man messes God's simple redemption plan up with all kinds of isms and religion and ideas and theories throughout history man in our great pride we have sought to add to or to take away from and to complicate the wonderfully simple message found throughout the word of god we create a whole lot of isms and and there's this religion and you can name all of these and and well there's there's this this belief, and the well, the Methodists believe that, and the Lutherans believe that, and the Pentecostals believe that, and there's Buddhism, and there's Islam, and there's there's Hinduism, and there's all these. Man comes up in our own, and it's been this way uh, since the fall of man. We come up with all of our own ways to add to God's redemption plan. All of our man-made ways, and the reality is that John three sixteen may be the simplest verse. It it addresses and responds to and refutes so many of the man, really, in in large part, all of the man-made isms that complicate our lives, our world, and our religious systems in the world. I want you to say that verse with me one more time and then I'm gonna jump into the verse. We're gonna walk through it together, these 25 words. I'm gonna give you a few thoughts that I think will be a help. Let's say it one more time, nice and loud, John 3, 16. Ready, begin. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to give you a few thoughts. Let's break it down. The first two words. Number one, for God. The depth of the simplest verse. For God responds to, those two words respond to atheism. The claim that there is no God. For God, there is a God, a creator, what some would say an intelligent being that spun all of this into existence. C.S. Lewis, who became an atheist at the age of 15 before later converting to Christ. C.S. Lewis said, atheism turns out to be too simple. He said, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should have never found out that it has no meaning. He also said, atheists express their rage against God, although in their view he does not exist. How did God start to begin again simplifying it? What's the very beginning of Scripture? Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, what's the fourth word? What is it? God. In the beginning, God. He starts scripture by saying, here's the foundation. There is a God. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And those that are without, and maybe you say, well, somebody that's never heard of the Bible, how would they know? You travel the entire world and there is a longing. There is a hole. They understand humans all across the world, from the smallest jungles to the biggest cities. There is something inside of them. They know there is something bigger out there. It's why man has created so many different gods and so many different worship structures and so many different things and tried and you go back thousands of years and there are different things and they they know there's something bigger why the heavens declare all of creation tells us this could not have just happened by accident man came up with that a a hundred or two hundred a couple hundred years ago his theory of evolution but but we understand we wouldn't believe that in any other in any other place i i read the story i I should have gone back and found it i forget it was it was i don't think it was edison it was some famous inventor uh uh, maybe 100 or 200 years ago and uh, in his workshop there was this beautiful model of all of the planets and it was all to scale and it had the earth and the sun and the moon and all of these things and and it was all put together in perfect way and 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 whoever, whoever the scientist was the story goes somebody walked in and, and they asked him. They were just impressed and, and, and amazed by this beautiful uh, model of the universe that this this uh, scientist inventor had put together. And and they asked him. They said, "Who built that?" And he said, "Nobody." He said, "What do you mean, nobody?" He said, "No, no, no one built that." He said, "Don't tell me no one built that. Look at that. That took hours. That took tens, maybe hundreds of hours. That took a, a really long." He said, "No, no, 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 no. I had a bunch of stuff in my office." And there was this explosion. And as soon as the explosion and I looked and there it was, it just looked exactly like that. And the guy looked at him and said, you've lost your mind. You're crazy. That's impossible. And he said, but yet you believe that the entire world happened in that way. Oh, we, we understand if we're, if we're, even if we don't maybe claim to be a Christian or don't uh, maybe even claim in our heart of hearts, we understand this all could not have happened by accident. And this verse, for God, it responds to atheism. Really, it refutes atheism. In the beginning, God, we believe in the beginning there was a God who created everything. An atheist believes there was nothing and it exploded. Which one of those takes more faith? These two words make it clear there is a God. For God. What are the next two words, church? For God what? So loved. This responds to fatalism. Which asserts that God is an impersonal force and everything that happens is just a predetermined, inevitable, foregone conclusion. The fatalist that 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 there is just some uncaring robot in the sky that keeps everything running and ticking with no care for his creation and and tonight I, again this is such a simple verse and and we're not in a, in a normal series but I, I pondered and, and th- these thoughts and I saw uh, some of these things in John three sixteen and I, I began to think about this for God those next two words so love. And I think as Christians, it's a great thing for us to be reminded of the fact that we serve a God who loves us. He doesn't just tolerate us. In fact, the Bible says God is love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And in our lives, don't ever get over the fact that we serve a personal, loving God. The creator of the universe loves you. Let that thought overwhelm you. He knows you. And not only does he love you, the Bible says, For God so loved the world. He so loves you. And the Bible talks about if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that that love him? God loves you. God loves me. What does the Bible say? There's not a sparrow that can fall without God taking notice. How much more then the creation that was made in his image? This verse, such a simple verse. We know it by heart, but when you stop to really think about, for God, there's a creator to all of this. So loved, and he knows me. And he loves me. As that song says, he knows my name. He cares about me. For God so loved. We could preach a whole message tonight on those two words, so loved. I love the, the old hymn uh, the, that says uh, the love of God. In fact, it's the only solo that I ever sang in my musical career is the song, The Love of God. How many of you would like to hear an a, uh, encore tonight? Would you like me to sing that tonight? I appreciate a few of you, all right. And we're not gonna do that. We want folks to come back on Sunday. But one of the most beautiful, one of those beautiful verses in in my opinion, in all of hymnody, it says, the word picture, it says, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole. Those stretch from sky to sky. Think about the word picture there. If the ocean was all ink and the sky was all parchment, and everyone that walked on earth was a scribe to try to write the love of God would drain the ocean's dry. God so loved. The next two words for God so loved. What are the next two words, church? The what? The world. Again, this response, we're talking about the fact that this simple verse has so much depth, responds to so many of the isms that mess up man around the world. That for God responds to atheism, and, and, and so loved responds to fatalism, and the world responds to nationalism. God didn't only die for one group of people, for one race, for one creed. God didn't die for one nationality. God, for God, so loved the what? Now I think, I sing and I love to sing it, God bless America, but, and God has blessed America, but America doesn't have some corner on the love of God. God so loved the world. God sent his son to die for the world. By the way, God sent his son Jesus long before there was an America or any other nation that might try to claim some superior standing with God. Oh no, the, God so loved the world. God didn't just die for one group, the world. That's you, that's me, that's your enemy. That's the group of people you don't like that's those in South America and those in Africa and those in Europe and that's those in Washington D.C. and that's those in Sacramento and that's those on on one side of the political aisle and that's those on the other side of the political aisle God so loved the world and it's so easy for us to get lifted up in pride and to think we're somehow better than some other group of people well, because of where I was born, or because of, 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 of my political leanings, or because of my family history, or because of my bank account, or because of this, or because of that, I must have... Oh no, church, it's good to remember, it, God is no respecter of persons. God so loved the world, God, God loves and died for everyone. Christianity is not an American invention and while our nation has been greatly blessed of God, we don't have that corner on the market of God's love or blessing. God loves the young and the old, men and women, righteous and evil. He sent his son to die for them all. By the way, there are no righteous without Jesus Christ. We are all sinners until the imputed righteousness of Christ is, is put, placed upon us. Notice the next three words. For God, the, the depth of the simplest verse tonight. For God so loved the world, the next three words that he gave responds to and this one hits home for some of us in in America today doesn't it responds to materialism which says it's more blessed to receive than to give God is the example to us in this verse showed us that true love is always expressed through giving he gave the greatest gift We, we always express what we love by what we give to what we give our time to, what we give our priorities to, what we give our best uh, energy to, what we give our resources to, what we give our finances to. I heard one, and we don't use checkbooks too often anymore, but I heard one pastor say, the checkbook is a theological document. It shows where our priorities are. It shows what our love is. Now it would be your, your banking app or your, 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 online, your online thing. There is a theological document. It shows what you and I really love. You know, some of ours will show we we really love food. Some will show we really love Starbucks. Some really love shoes. But what we give to shows what we love, and not, not just in finances, again, of our time, of our priorities that he gave. God gave us the greatest gift, and what did he give next, the next four words? His only begotten son. Responds to Islamism or other religions which say God has no son. Oh, they don't mind saying he was a good man. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. He did some good things. I'll never forget it. I was in Israel, Uh, Renee. We were in Israel. I don't know how long was that. Three years ago, something like that. We were in Israel, and our tour guide Avi Abraham. Avi was up there, and he was he was he honestly he knew more Bible than than almost any pastor Christian pastor I think I've ever met or heard he, he knew if you go over here in this book and he was talking New Testament and I knew that the Jews they 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 would not believe that that the Messiah has come and he came unto his own and his own received him not and they would they would base their faith and their religion on the Old Testament and he's taking us to all of these sites of Jesus And he's taking us all around, and he said, oh, this is where Jesus fed the 5,000, and here's the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the Sea of Galilee, and this is where Jesus walked on the water, and here's where he raised up Peter's mother-in-law, and he's telling us all these stories, and he said, oh, you'll find that over there in Matthew 23, and, and over there in Luke 12, and he's telling all of this, and I'm sitting there thinking does this guy believe, like, is he saved? I remember asking our host pastor that was there, a friend of mine, Kurt Skelly, I said, Brother Skelly, I said, is he a believer? Is he saved? He said, I don't believe so. I've talked with him. I've given him the gospel. And, and then I, I said, so does he believe Jesus was real? Does he believe that, that Jesus walked on earth? And he said, I, I think so. And I'm trying to compute, because he, he knew the Bible, and he's telling us, like, with conviction, Jesus did this miracle here, and Jesus did that there. And and, and, and I, eventually I, I went up to Avi and I said, Avi, we're, we're driving to the next place. I said, now you tell us all of these things. I said, do you believe that Jesus was real? Do you believe these things really happened? Or, or, or are you just telling us this because we've hired you and you know that we're a Christian group and, and so you know the history of your country and you know the spots that we want to believe that it happened and that archaeologists tell us that it happened and, and, and so you know what we're paying you to do so you just tell us what we want to hear. He said, oh no, no, oh no that really happened there. Well, Jesus, not. Jesus really fed 5,000 right there, and archaeologists show us that, that that story in the Bible is true right there. That's exactly where it happened, and there are some places where they don't know exactly where it happened, and so he'll, he'll say, they're, they're saying there is, it's either here or it's near. We know it's somewhere right around here, but but it's been lost through time. We don't know exactly where, And and I'm praying. I'm praying in 2022, we'll take another trip to Israel. If you've not been, I'd encourage you to try to go, and and i'm talking to him and i said okay so you believe you really believe that he raised peter's mother-in-law you you really believe that he said oh yeah i said so help me help me to understand how could he have done that he said well just as the prophet elijah called down fire from heaven and just as and in his mind he has no problem reconciling jesus was a good teacher a prophet a man that god used to do miracles but he could not accept that Jesus was Messiah. And it's amazing how, how often almost nobody, even religious people and unreligious, have a problem with God. They, they don't have a problem with your higher power. They don't have a problem with a supreme being and even at times you can pray in public situations and certain places and it's okay to pray to God, whatever that means to you. But where the problem comes in is when we use the name Jesus. Then people start to get nervous. Why is that? I believe one reason is because there's great power in the name of Jesus. The other reason is Jesus is a differentiator. You see, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an inclusive gospel in that it's for the whole world, but it's an exclusive gospel in that it's only through Jesus. And, and we as man, we want to hang on to our ism and we want to hang on to our tradition and we want to hang on to our work. And we don't want the exclusivity of Jesus, that makes us a little uncomfortable. Uh, I want to believe what I believe and I want you to believe what you believe and can't we all just get along and coexist and, and whatever all that stuff is but here we see for God so loved the world that he gave what did he give? He gave his only begotten son right here in this simple verse of 25 words is the deity of Christ the truth of the matter that Jesus is God, the truth that Jesus is the son of God the truth that Jesus is not just a good man, the truth that he is the living word, the truth that he was there at creation, all things were created by him. That's a very specific doctrine to the Christian faith that makes every other religion that is not in accordance with scripture a false religion and in this it responds to those that say God had no son, religions like Islam that would say that there is power in the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus christ is the lord to the glory of god the father what did jesus say in john chapter 14 verse number six what did he say and i say unto thee that that uh, that that that, uh, i am the way i am the truth i am the life and what did he say no man cometh unto the father but by me this verse so simple gives us so much continuing on the next three words that whosoever what church that whosoever believeth this responds to calvinism which say it says that christ died for the elect or predestined only that whosoever, aren't you thankful that we serve a whosoever God, that whosoever will may come, whosoever believeth. You don't have to wonder if you're part of the lucky crowd that gets chosen. God gave us, I believe, a free will to choose, and, and we can choose to accept that gift or to reject that gift. It's not again something just for a certain group of people or or this one is 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 destined to heaven and this one is destined to hell. And in that one country, God has completely written them off. Oh no for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that whosoever believeth, notice this next, here it is, in him responds to pluralism, which says that all religions are equal. I already hit on this for a minute, but a very popular thing in our politically correct society today, in America and around the world, a, a buzzword, you hear it all the time, tolerance. It's interesting, those that scream tolerance the loudest, it's only about us tolerating their beliefs. It's not about tolerating the Christian belief very often. Tolerance, inclusivity. Uh, it's, it's, it's all about sincerity. As long as what you're sincere about what you believe in, it doesn't matter which God you worship. I've, I've heard people say, and this sounds really good to the human mind, well, I just believe that heaven's up here. You might get up the mountain this way and I might get up this way and you might get up through your faith in God and I'm going to get up through my good works and I'm going to get up through Buddhism and I'm going to get up and, and all roads lead to heaven. Whosoever believeth, here it is. In him. In who? The only begotten son of God. Jesus. I've already given you the verse, John 14, 6. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Again, a very inclusive gospel. Everybody, whosoever believe it. That's inclusive. Very exclusive in him. No man. That's, that's pretty exclusive. No man cometh unto the Father but by me we, we don't just do our best and hope that our good outweighs our bad well i'm just sincere well I, i've talked to people and i've said if, if you were to die do you know for sure if you'd you would spend eternity in heaven or are you not really sure about that and they've said well i hope so and, and, and i'll say well what are you trusting in well i hope that my good outweighs my bad that that sounds good but here's the problem the bible says in you and in me is no good thing The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. The Bible says there is none good, none that doeth good. No, not one. And, and, And for us, well, I hope my good outweighs my bad. We can never do enough good. Jesus did all the good that any of us needed, but we have to be willing to place our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. It is only in his righteousness, not our own. All have sinned. The Bible says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, none of us measures up. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why God sent His Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, and here it is, I'm almost done. We're almost through. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. By by the way, I want to just finish my last statement there. We don't just do our best and hope our good outweighs our bad and just as long as we're sincere. Here's the reality. If you're watching online or you're here in this room, you can be sincerely wrong and spend eternity in hell. In fact, there will be countless millions, maybe billions that will be sincerely wrong because they will refuse and reject the simple redemption message of John 3.16. Should not perish... This responds to annihilationism. This is, this is a, a, a doctrine that the Jehovah Witnesses believe when they say that there is no hell. They just believe that the wicked cease to exist at the end of this life. There are others that you'll talk to and they might not, be, might not identify as a Jehovah's Witness, but they'll, they'll tell you, well, I just believe when you die, that's just the end of it. And you just go into the ground and, and that's it. And, and, and just, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. You ever see that bumper sticker? That's the idea of everything is here on this life. Doesn't really matter what we do at the end of it. We just go on the ground and, and, we went, we started from dust. We go back to dust. There is no afterlife. There is no eternity. Again, man thinks through all of these things to justify their lifestyles, to justify their belief systems, to, to, to salve their conscience, to make themselves be put at ease. They come up with all these isms, but this simple verse right here, Jesus very clearly said, if you believe in him, you should not perish. Well, what can we infer from that? That if you don't believe in him, you will perish. Well, some might say, well, that just, means death well if if we're gonna there's a contrast the very at the end of it it says but have everlasting life so if there is everlasting life and right before it said should not perish what does logic tell us what is he referring to he's referring to everlasting death the Bible says that, that it is appointed unto man once to die, that is the physical death, and after this, the Bible says the judgment. What does the Bible teach? There is an eternity for every one of us after death. Now, now we might not like to think about that. You don't hear a whole lot of preaching about hell these days, it seems. That, that, that's not a real positive uh, subject to be thinking about, but it's a biblical subject to understand. The Bible says that if we die without Christ, we will perish, and that goes based on the context of this verse goes far beyond we just died physically it talks about an eternal death an eternal suffering in in a place called hell in that lake of fire should not perish by the way christ came to deliver us from that eternal damnation and give us eternal life would you read the last four words of the of the verse with me the last four words ready begin but have everlasting life that responds to arminianism which says that god only gives life or salvation conditionally there are other religions and belief systems that believe if you don't do enough even after you get saved it's conditional you can you can become an apostate you can lose that free gift of salvation I don't find that in John 3.16. In fact, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. I believe once saved, always saved. I believe in the doctrine of eternal security. I believe the Bible teaches that very clearly. But I see it right here in John 3.16. Whosoever believeth in him shall have ever, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, Steve. Everlasting seems kind of like forever. Like, okay, so there's never a time I can lose it. I don't see any caveat here. I don't see any exception clause. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, and as long as he keeps doing right and doesn't mess up and doesn't, doesn't go back on it. By the way, the doctrine as a pastor, the doctrine that you could lose your salvation, I'm just gonna be honest, from a human perspective as a pastor, that would be a really awesome tool to have in the tool bag. Our attendances would go up. Our offerings would go up. If I could just preach... I could just make it up. If you don't give $1,000 today, you're going to lose your salvation. Like, man, pff. now it's not a really good way to live the Christian life. It's, it's not the Christian life at all. It's just fear-based, guilt-based. But, but it wouldn't, from a, a human perspective, if I could beat Steve over the head with the guilt of you might die and go to hell if you don't keep every rule I tell you. that, that From a human perspective, there's a whole lot of motivation that I can get out of that. The only problem is it's not anywhere in the Bible. If you don't do this, or you don't do that, or you don't give this, or you don't go there. Now, now, we do those things not for salvation. We do them from salvation. We don't do those things to earn God's favor or to earn God's love. We do do those things because we've received God's love. The love of Christ constraineth us because he loved us so much. We want to give back to him. I, I shouldn't have to beat you over the head and say, now, if you don't show up on Sunday morning, God might strike you with lightning. No, I, I want to gather together with the body of Christ and to worship and to sing together and to grow in his word. Not. Not because I'm trying to earn some reward with you or some reputation with you because he did so much for me. Well, if you don't serve, if you don't share the gospel with somebody, if you don't faithfully give to support the work of this church, God might do this. No, no, that's not the, that's not the message of the gospel. That's not our motivation. Our motivation is the love of Christ, not the guilt of man, not the fear of man. But we see here, but have everlasting life. Some, a good number, will teach that you can somehow fall away from salvation and no longer be a believer. You can't do enough good, by the way, church, you can't and you didn't do enough good to deserve salvation. You can't do enough bad to lose it. So then somebody that wants to abuse God's grace would say, and they tried this in the New Testament and Paul addressed it, they would say, well, if I can't, it doesn't matter what I do, if I can't ever lose my salvation, well, then I'm just going to go live it up. Paul addressed that. Uh, multiple writers in the New Testament address that. What, what, what does the Bible say? It said, if shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Meaning, hey, that, that's a pretty good deal. God, if I, if I could sin a million times, God will forgive me a million times. So why don't I sin two million times so his grace will abound? I'll really know God's grace. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? What did the writer say there? God forbid. God forbid. Oh, no. The the fact of the matter that we have eternal security is not a license to sin. In fact, the fact that God's given us eternal security, it's a motivator. God, I want to live for you my entire life. You see, man has come up with so many twisted ways of thinking. Often, often, almost all false religions of the world have some truth mixed in with them. Almost all of them, you would say, well, we believe the same thing about that, don't we? well, I believe that, and I believe, oh, but then I just believe you have to worship Jesus' mom. I believe all of that, but, but then I think you, you've got to give money to the church to get, earn your way into heaven, indulgences. Oh, I believe that, but, but you've got to go into a little booth and confess your sins to another sinner. Oh, oh, I believe all of that, but, and most of the time, there's truth mixed in, but man creates all of these things. And then... God in his infinite love and wisdom gives us John three isn't it a beautiful verse one verse 25 words I could have probably pulled out some other things but I gave you nine isms that man uses that mess we get messed up with that John three sixteen responds to refutes addresses so many of the oppositions and attacks of uh, on scripture can be answered in this one verse Against the deity of Christ, John 3.16 answers it. Against the existence of God, John 3.16 answers it. Against eternal security, John 3.16 answers it. Against, is there an eternal damnation? John 3.16 answers it. What a wonderful, beautiful, deep, and rich sentence. That's all it is. Just one sentence, and yet our entire faith is encapsulated in that one sentence. God's entire redemption plan, what the Old Testament was pointing toward and what the New Testament is pointing back to is encapsulated in that one sentence, John 3, 16. And here's a thought that I had as I was preparing to speak tonight. If what might be the simplest verse contains that much truth and doctrine and encouragement, how much more time should we be spending in God's word, church, and growing in it? and learning and meditating on it. Sometimes I read for quantity God's word. Other times, and it's all quality, but it's, sometimes it's great to just take a verse or five or 10 and read them several times and really ponder them and think about them. Instead of, well, I gotta read 10 chapters today. Maybe read 10 verses today and take the same amount of time you would have taken and read it again and think about it. And let God show you some things and speak to you. Would you repeat the verse with me? John 3 16. Ready? Begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This week, rest in the truth of that verse. This week, rejoice in the truth of that verse. This week, let's praise God and thank God for the depth of maybe the simplest verse in scripture. When I say simple, I mean the one that encapsulates, simplifies the whole Bible Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.